Hey, what up Long Beach? We are hip deep in winter playoffs and spring previews here at the only podcast that covers our local schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. I am JJ Fiddler. This show hosted by 562.org, but it's part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post, where you can find some of our education coverage as well. We're going to do it a little different this week on the podcast as we kind of whip it around the horn, drive around Long Beach and check in with a couple different teams who are having some uh, very interesting experiences over the last few weeks and now into the future. We're going to start on the basketball court, where obviously Long Beach Poly has uh, reigned supreme recently, both on the boys and the girls side. But right now, the Mill boys basketball team is the hottest thing going in division 3a the rams finished the season on a five game winning streak they won a play in game against wilson on the last day of the regular season to get into the postseason and then they won two there so they've won seven straight they beat west torrance in the second round just the other night and they are going on the road on friday to highland to play in the quarterfinal that is the first quarterfinal for millican basketball since 2016. We caught up with head coach Curtis Boyer to talk a little bit about his boys and how they've been able to turn it around. Coach, can you explain it? How were you guys able to turn this season around to be on a seven game winning streak in the games that really matter? Yeah. So, you know, this being, I feel like it's technically my first season because, you know, the COVID season was like scramble mode from the very beginning when I got hired. Um, all the preparation we did in the off season from uh, literally spring through summer through fall, we played in spring leagues, fall leagues, uh, and then getting, uh, 10 weeks of conditioning and we were throwing in practices as well in that, you know, we were starting to get our culture and our, the way we wanted the kids to play. And, you know, for us, you know, us as uh, coaches, coach Chris Camper and myself, you know, we felt like there was still a little bit of a hangover effect from COVID, um, you know, and especially with the regime change coming in, you know, there wasn't a lot in, there was no, literally no varsity players when I got here last year. So having to build that up and at the start of the season, you know, we had a couple of stoppages from COVID. Uh, there were some other off the court issues and, you know, we just weren't playing up to our potential at the start of the year. And like we've been telling the kids all season, like if you guys have been playing the way you're playing now at the start of the season, we would likely have 20 plus wins, but, I'm happy they're hitting their stride at the right time instead of having, you know, hit it in the early part of the season and then slumping at the end of the season, we probably wouldn't be in this position. So they absolutely hit it at the right time, which I'm proud of. Is this a change in practice that you've done that, that, that has created this change in the team or is it really the team that's changing its own practice? It's really more, it's, I, I feel like it, for me, it's more the buying in and we've been doing a lot of the same things throughout the course of the year um and we've tweaked things here and there of course and we we adjust things game by game for different opponents and you know strengths that we can do and weaknesses for the other team but overall there's been only slight tweaks to how we're running practice in certain ways i think the repetition has really helped a lot um getting the kids you know a lot of these kids are, are in some of the best condition they've had from not only our preseason conditioning but all the practices we've had throughout the season and I did my best to fill our full 28 game schedule, which we hit it right on the mark. And then we got that bonus game with Wilson again. So, um, I mean, it's funny. The only thing that we've tailored recently is not doing as much running in practice the last few weeks because they've had so many games from the makeup over COVID, you know, stoppages, uh, you know, and having we I think we played 12 or 13 games in two weeks. So it was it was pretty insane. Um, so but most of it, I think 
going back to the original point was I think the kids are finally buying in. And with that being said, you know, it's, we're starting to see the changes. So we got to talk about Kamari Washington. I mean, the kid is just an absolute stud. He was the uh, shining star in that game against Wilson that you just mentioned that got you guys into the playoffs and scored that game high 23 points in your victory over uh, West Torrance the other night. I mean, the kid's a game changer. He is absolutely on both sides of the court. You know, he'll, he, what I love about him is he's absolutely coachable. So we'll have, I mean, three or four or five conversations a week, whether it's on the phone, in my office, you know, during practice. And he listens and he, he applies everything we're trying to tell him. And, I mean, he's, he's our leading rebounder. I think he's our second leading assist player. He's our leading scorer, um, leading steals, and he's in second in blocks. So he's doing literally everything for us. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty – technically savvy so on max preps and everything else i give our players of the game and i think out of our 31 games i think he's been player of the game 27 times so he's he's done everything for us this entire season wow who are some of the guys that you think uh maybe not getting the shine but also deserve a lot of the credit for this turnaround absolutely donovan deshay our sophomore guard um he's had a couple 30 point games uh, in the game against AGBU, uh, he literally forced their primary ball handler to stop bringing the ball to court because he was locking up so well. So he does he what I've been telling him is, you know, as Camry is Kamari is graduating this year, he's going to be that guy stepping into that role next year. He's our score. He can score. He can defend. Um, and he's just finding his feet on the ground now as a sophomore coming into the varsity level. Uh, and then another guy is Eric Benales. You know, he was all all more league second team last year and again did it this year. A lot of the things that he does flies under the radar from, you know, fans and people watching the game, but he does little things. He'll, I mean, he, he's got little bunny hops for a little guy at five, nine, he gets blocked shots. He'll box out last year. He was boxing out Peyton Watson, you know, taking charges from guys, hitting huge shots. He hit a game winner for us at St. Bonaventure uh, when we played at Cal Lutheran in a showcase over Christmas, he was huge against Jordan. So those three guys in particular have been monstrous for us. You guys won on a 14-2 fourth quarter run the other night to beat West Torrance, as I mentioned. Uh, that takes some offense, but obviously it also takes some defense. What's your defensive mentality and scheme over that Milliken? Because the defensive improvement has almost been as impressive as your guys' yeah. offensive improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it will, you know, it depends game by game how a team will play against. We'll, we'll adjust certain things. So, you know, certain teams that we can, you know, that are not great drivers – we'll push far out on them um, for guys that are, you know, like AGBU all their whole mentality was throw up threes. I, I, I talked to the Buckley coach and he said, they thought they shot 36 threes and only 11 twos against us. So we had the mentality going into that game. We're not in help position. We're going to be guarding our man, trusting our teammates to do their job and keep the guy in front of them and keep him out of, you know, shooting, you know, spots. And, you know, going into this game, we're playing against Highland their whole mentality is driving. I, I, I think they've, I've, in the three games that I've watched of highlight film, they only made probably four three-pointers in all three games. So, but their, their whole mentality is to attack the lane. So now we're going to get space. So it really depends on the matchups we have. My guys can play all the way out. And, you know, we've had guys like, like I mentioned with Donovan and Cam and even Eric as well. We'll push guys out and press teams that don't have great ball handlers. Or if we play a team like Polly, for example, where Christian and, and Giovanni and those guys can bring the ball up, we'll play a little bit less off of them so that we keep them in front and not let them get those explosive drives into the lane that we're looking for. 
So Milliken's making its first quarterfinals appearance since 2016. Like you said, Coach, you're going to Palmdale to take on Highland. What is the key to victory for the Rams on Friday night? Yeah, what we've been working on, as I just mentioned, is, is their whole mentality is drive, 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 drive. And they've hit a few threes here and there. So we are going to compact our man-to-man defense, and we may run you know, our, our one-three-one or a two-three occasionally just to see if and, and throw it up on them. But we're trying – our main goal is to keep them out of the lane because, you know, I, I – promise you in all three games that I've looked at every one of their guys, except maybe one or two, they're trying to get to the lane every single time. And they're trying to finish at the rim. They have a light press that they do. That's one, two, two. Um, but we have not had one issue all year with press breaking. Um, I, I, I'm, we as a team and as coaches look forward to teams pressing us because we attack and we find those scenes that where we can get downhill and get to the basket where, you know, then they're going to be pulling off their press. So the biggest thing for us, compact the middle wall up, Let's get our rebounds, get out in transition, and attack them. Um, we we have a pretty distinct height advantage. I think their tallest guy is six three. You know, we have our our six eight freshman and Jackson Chris, who's had an, uh, Jackson Chris has had another huge. He's he's come a long way since the start of the season. He's starting to get it, and you know, I was going through times with him. You know, I knew there was going to be growing pains as a freshman being on varsity, but he's absolutely excelled in in growth throughout the season so if we can funnel everything to him and and wall up on defense and keep them out of the lane we should have a pretty decent time of of getting at least a good lead on them and hopefully holding on to it last question coach you know obviously like you said this is your first full season in the more league and boy was it condensed what did you learn in the more league or more importantly how did the more league prepare your team to uh, to be this ready for the postseason yeah, so I, I mean, I, I will admit we've gotten a pretty favorable bracket for Division Three A, um, and I had to apologize to my kids this year because I've seen a lot of these teams. You know, some of these guys I'm, I'm talking outside of the Moore League have had you know somewhat cupcake schedules, and I I ran my kids through the gauntlet. You know, we were playing St. Bonaventure, Orangewood, uh, Santa Clara to Christian, Brentwood, all these private schools that get to recruit. So, and that's another reason at some of the start of the season where, you know, we, we, we ran into some roadblocks and we were almost in every game except two, I think. So it prepared us for where we're at right now. And now the games are getting a little easier because we have faced all those big challenges early on uh, and, and have learned and grown from them. So I'm, I'm damn proud of how these kids have excelled and bought into what we're doing. And I think it's absolutely prepared them for what we're doing. The more league was especially uh, I mean, we were in every game outside of one or two where we didn't play up for our potential. Um, we competed with Polly. We competed with Compton. Um, you know, we beat Wilson twice. We beat Jordan twice. We beat Cabrillo twice. And we were, you know, I think it was three and a four point game between us and Lakewood the both times we played them. So we were right there. And I think what that did was give them confidence to know, hey, we can play with anybody. As long as we do the things that we're supposed to do and bring the effort we're supposed to bring, we're right there. Absolutely. Pumped for you guys. Milliken in good hands right now on the basketball court. Thank you so much for taking the time, Coach. Travel safe out there to Palmdale and uh, bring home a dub. Thank you, JJ. That's what we're working on. Appreciate it. We've mentioned it so many times on this show. Local soccer is elite and it is so exciting. However, the Moore League is officially out of the playoffs as of today. Milliken girls and Wilson girls both losing on Wednesday after the Wilson boys finished their season on a very, very memorable Tuesday evening at Wilson High School against Miracosta, the number two seed in the Division I bracket. I'm just going to let Wilson head coach CJ Brewer explain what it was like when everybody had to run for cover because of some unexpected weather at Wilson during the game. 
Yeah, 30 seconds before halftime was over, uh, lightning started to get a little closer. We saw it kind of rolling in. And then one of the lightning strikes hit somewhere near us, and the lights went like half out in the stadium. And the referee kind of came over and goes, what's going on? And we told him, you know, we think it is the, the lightning is causing the lights to go out. And so he ended the half, and as soon as he blew the whistle for the half to be over, hail started coming down and everyone kind of scattered and then we started working on fixing the lights people were hanging out under the bleachers and kind of seeking cover and you know i'm half working on trying to get the lights back on and then the other half is like trying to figure out you know when are we going to return to play is it going to be tonight or another night um and what's kind of completely going on so the there were six other games that were kind of postponed at the same time and we're on the phone with CIF trying to figure out what to do and you know 95 minute delay later we started the second half so tried to kind of make use of that time um, just staying loose and talking with the boys about what they can do better and then staying loose again um, because every time lightning would strike near us we'd have to reset our clock and wait another 30 minutes. Whose idea was it to let them shoot hoops in the gym to like you said stay loose? We had them underneath uh, the bleachers in a small little room and you know, we wanted them to have a little more space. Um, you know, COVID is always a thing, but then also just we were kind of cramped. So we moved across into the gym area. It was warmer in there. And then the boys found some basketballs and started doing it. And because we kept resetting the clock and waiting longer and longer, we were like, fine, just, yeah, go ahead and shoot hoops. The other team was cramped up on their bus sitting. And we're like, you know, I'd rather them, you know, just stay loose as long as they're not like, overexerting themselves or just staying loose and I felt like that really gave us an advantage the second half yeah you guys played an incredible second half went toe-to-toe with the number two team in division one you know obviously on the losing end of it but you said it so well after that game you know uh you win how you play if you put everything you possibly have into something and you lose you didn't really lose and you felt like your team didn't really lose that game because of their effort and the you know exclamation point they were able to put on that historic season yeah, we you know coached the boys up on what we wanted to take away from the other team, and they did everything that we asked them to do. Uh, the other team didn't look like they did all season long. We really uh, kind of punished them, had the ball in their half the whole time where we're knocking on the door. Ball was inches and inches and inches going in. They didn't have as many opportunities as we had. I felt that were good scoring chances, and uh, especially in the second half, the boys did everything that we asked them to do. And if you look back on it, you should be proud when, you know, you went toe-to-toe with the number two team in Division One, and dominated the game but still lost. So that's why we said be proud of what you did because they're going to remember you next time you play them. So all facts, Wilson Boys Soccer, the only league champion who went on the road in the first round. You guys got a dramatic win at Warren thanks to uh, Anthony Garcia's magical late strike. But explain to me why you think – out of the Moore League, the Moore League champion, you guys this year, had to go on the road? I think that it has to do with rankings. So we did drop some games on non-league. Um, those games we dropped were always missing somebody. You know, COVID, we are missing this guy, we are missing that guy. And we dropped four games out of league that were big, kind of high-profile games that I think that dropped us in the standings uh, when it comes to rankings. So we were one of the lower ranked league champions, I feel like. And then they 
rolled the dice or flipped a coin to just determine who was the home team. And, you know, we didn't win that. But I was completely fine with going to Warren the first round because I'd rather play the second round at home against a tougher opponent. And it really worked out in our favor. Um, a lot of people were saying, you need to complain, you need to complain. And w- we didn't complain. We took it as uh, something of motivation that, you know, they underestimated us. And we went out there and, and proved that, you know, we were a strong league champion. If you're completely fine with it, I'll, I'll grant that premise. That, that's fine. But you are playing a Division One schedule within the Moore League. Moore League with four teams in Division One this year. Every single Moore League team that went to the playoffs had to go on the road to play a league champion in the first round. What needs to happen for the Moore League not to be in that situation again where you find yourself in a situation where you have to win four games in December that are in the non-league where you might not have your full complement of players and that game and those games are going to define your season when it comes to the playoffs? Yeah, I, I, this has been talked a lot about that more like boys and girls soccer aren't making deep runs into Division One, And if you look at all the other sports in the Moore League, um, they're not all held to that standard. I mean, I know there's some football programs that are, and everyone wants to, you know, make a run in, in Division One. Um, we are one of the teams, along with the girls, that we hope in being in Division One and hope in making a deep run, but it hasn't happened in a good number of years. And I think the reason for that is like you're saying, we are playing difficult teams in the beginning and kind of getting knocked out by them. And that's, you know, you can look at Millican girls playing Jay Sarah, how many years in a row? And, you know, the boys, all of our boys have had tough draws in the past few years. And that's the reason for it. And the reason that that is happening is I feel like our non-league schedule isn't difficult enough. We're not uh, undefeated going into the postseason and those undefeated teams get ranked. They get put on the easier uh, path as far as the bracket goes, and it makes it so they can, you know, the numbers help them uh, go deeper into the playoffs versus we're having to see, you know, the eventual CIF champion in the beginning of, you know, we had to play the defending CIF championship in the second round, so it is difficult. It's difficult, and it's kind of a catch-22, right? If Polly and, uh, let's say Polly and Jordan are ranked higher in the preseason, then when you play them, you are then ranked higher by beating a higher-ranked opponent, right? So if the entirety of the Moore League is, quote-unquote, underrated, then it's going to be very difficult for any team to increase their ranking in order to get what you're talking about, an easier road, if you're having to play the Millicans and the Polys every other week and you're not getting that bump in the rankings. Yeah, um, I guess other sports might have that argument being that the majority of their games are league games. Um, but we in soccer, we can play up to 28 games. And so 12 of those games are league. And then the rest of your games could be powerful opponents in Division One if you wanted to do that. So if you really want to make a deep run in Division One you it's okay that you know however strong or weak your league is i think that you really need to stack your non-league games and you need to win those games so you can prove to cif that you're highly ranked then you'll get an easier playoff draw and that will help you go deeper in the playoffs so my challenge to my team is let's do that and we scheduled games against san clemente we scheduled games against tory pines um you know eventual state champion tory pines and like good games we played nothing but d1 or d2 games in our non-league games and but we dropped four of them and i think that's what really hurt us so we're going to do the same thing next year we're going to schedule really hard opponents hope to walk through them and then get a 
easier draw into the playoffs. Do you want the other teams in the Moore League to do the same? If you're like the czar of more league soccer for the day and you could do all the scheduling, would you schedule the other teams the same way you're scheduling yours? Each each coach can do whatever they want, um, and it depends what they want to do in the playoffs. So our philosophy here at Wilson is that we want to be in Division One, and we want to make it all the way to the championship game. And if it doesn't happen, then the next year we're going to keep pushing harder so we can get there. That means that we're scheduling hard opponents and doing that. However, there are other coaches that have a different philosophy, and you see it in the other sports too, where they want to play easy opponents and they're non-league, so they can try to get less points in the point matrix. They can go in a lower division, and then they can win a championship at a lower division because they, they feel like they don't have a chance at Division One. We we want to have a chance at Division One, and that's our goal. And so it's just a different strategy or different mindset and it depends on where you see your team landing and, and how you, you see your vision of your team is how you schedule your games. Last question I got to ask, who's going to win Champions League this year? Oof. Uh, if I said that, then half of my boys would be mad at me. So <laughs> I'm purposely not going to, to pick a team. Um, I, uh, I'm a big rooter in, in U.S. soccer and, you know, seeing so many of our U.S. players go over there and play. Um, so really whatever team has the best U.S. soccer player, I'm rooting for them, but I, I don't, I don't want to say right now to ruin the relationship I have with my players. They're so deeply rooted in their teams. They wear their jerseys to practice and around school. So, um, I, I feel like, uh, it's a big deal, but you're a Chelsea fan, right? I am an Everton fan, oh, Everton. but if you had to make me choose and we're talking liking the best U.S. players, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Pulisic. I'm going to go with Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. I, I, I would have to, to say that that's my reasoning, but I don't want to piss anyone off. <laughs> if you're listening to this on Friday, the Long Beach State Dirtbags ranked number 24 in the nation are starting their season at the defending national champion, Mississippi State. They are ranked number three in the nation. There are only two ranked series this weekend in college baseball. And the Dirtbags and Mississippi State are one of them. You can check out our season preview for the Dirtbags available right now at the562.org where we've also got an interview with Eric Valenzuela as part of the LB Fee Show. But first, listen to me talk to Devro Harrison, an elite pitcher, an All-American last year and a preseason All-American this year. The kid throws gas as the closer for the Dirtbags, but as you'll hear him say here, he's pretty much willing to do anything to make the Dirtbags better this season, and they're going to be pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, everything's going good. Um, as of right now, everyone's healthy, feeling good. Um, I think the pitching staff's going to be a, a big key this year. Um, we have a lot of older guys who have been in this program for a long time and um, who, have throw, who have thrown multiple innings and um, college baseball important innings. And I feel like we're really deep with the staff this year. Um, from the top to the bottom, we, we'll, we'll have trust in everybody and everyone's working hard. We have a couple of good, good new guys coming in, uh, a couple of JUCO guys. So, um, yeah, it should be really exciting for the pitching staff this year. And, I mean, obviously, you know, Luis, Noble, we, all, we got all those guys back. So, um, I, I think I think we'll be really talented on the mound. I mean, same thing as hitting, we'll be really talented as well. But I think we have a little more vets on the mound. We have more people who have been in tight situations and uh, who have pitched in games that mean a lot, especially last year when we were coming down to the wire of, all right, we got we to start winning if we want to make it. 
And um, a lot of guys have had a lot of pressure on them and stuff like that. And they show that they can compete with the pressure. Yeah. Did you, did you work on anything individually over the summer? Um, so with Team USA, I mean, I was, I worked on a lot pitching. I do 12 innings there. Um, I mean, it's, you can't, you can't do what you do in the big West. Really. You can't, you know how, I mean, I am, I throw a lot of fastballs in the big West and I try to throw it by people and the, um, with Team USA, with the top 25 guys in the nation at the college level, you can't do that. Everyone sees that. Everyone has been seeing that because they're all perfect game, all Americans, area code guys, everything. So uh, I really had to learn how to pitch and not just throw, if that makes sense. Um, I had to learn a 2-0 count throw breaking ball. Because if I throw a fastball, they're going to be geared up for that and it's going to go a long ways. Um, I had to learn to throw – throw hit every location with every pitch throw every pitch in any count and uh, really just trust what i'm doing out there instead of just going up there okay i'm gonna throw this ball by you good luck so that that's what i learned on a lot or worked on a lot and just um commanding all of my pitches and being able to throw them in any count at any time in the game did you learn anything about yourself or, or this team during last season we had a lot of things going on last year um it was a tough season, you know. Um, we didn't have a fall. We didn't have any of that. So, um, really hard at the beginning. I mean, we had a slow start. And then we uh, we started to really trust that we, that we could do this and that um, we're better than whoever we're playing against and that our team really came together. At first, it was a little like, oh, we – especially with the new guys, like we didn't really know these guys. Like they didn't. They didn't know what we have gone through in the fall's past. I think later, a couple of weeks into the season, they started to realize, okay, like these guys and Coach V is no joke. Like we, he started like the conditioning up again a little bit, and like, all right, these guys really want it. So um, I think I think I learned a lot that like you don't have to be a hundred percent to give a hundred percent because I mean, every season you're banged up no matter what you can say you're not, you can say whatever. And without having a fall, without getting in shape to go compete, especially with four games a weekend, that was really hard. Um, especially as like my, my role is I didn't know if I was going to throw Friday, Saturday or Sunday. There's days where I threw all, all three days. I didn't know if I was throwing twice on a Saturday. Like, so it was really hard and it was really just figuring out what my body can take. And um, I mean, I felt, I felt good. Like I, after the season, I felt like we, as a team, we did enough to get a bid. Um, I know we were we were right there in the talk and stuff like that. Um, but I think us not getting into that bid or getting into a regional really put a chip on the guys who are backing up. This next clip actually comes from last week when Long Beach State men's basketball beat Cal State Fullerton to extend their winning streak and take sole possession of first place in the Big West Conference. It was a scene at Walter Pyramid compared to the way the crowd has been recently. It looked like the old days back in 2012 and 2013 when the team was going on winning streaks, packing the gym and sitting atop the conference. That's where they are right now. Now, if you're listening to this on Friday, they did play Thursday night, so the winning streak might be over, but no matter what happens on Thursday, they are still first place in the Big West, got a little bit of a cushion there. So Long Beach State looking good. And we've talked about it on this show before. Coach Dan Munson and the Long Beach State men's basketball program has been through some ups and downs, and it's been mostly down recently. But this season is a resurgence. It's uh, built on what they've always tried to build the program on, defense first and everything else after that. But it was also 
Coach Dan Munson's 400th win when they beat Fullerton. I don't care how many years you've been coaching or where you've been coaching, 400 is a lot of wins in college basketball. And I'm gonna play a clip from the postseason press conference where I just asked him to talk about winning 400 games. And uh, I was very interested in his response. The cliche is, you know, you're blessed, you're fortunate, you're lucky, whatever you want to describe it. But, but to, to me, you know, uh, uh, I, I just, I'm thankful. I mean, I've had, uh, to be in this profession, this is, I think, my 25th year as a head coach, and to have at three places, you know, that, that's, that's, that's more significant to me than 400, you know, and, and going around. And, and uh, you know, I, I've just had great uh, administrations that have supported me. You don't get 400 wins unless people are with you through the thick and the thin. And, you know, I'm not naive that, you know, a month ago people were, you know, calling my president, my AD, you know, what's going on, you know, with our, your basketball program. And uh, they haven't wavered, and, and uh, I, I felt that same support at the other places. So I, I just, it, I feel like I'm, you know, whatever you, blessed, I, I guess is the best word, that I get to do, I get to wake up every morning and do a job I love at a place I love, with people I love, with players that I love. Uh, and that's not a job, you know, that, that's a career, that's, uh, and, uh, so, you know, 400 is important in that way because I, I, I stop and think I've got to do a lot of time. I've got to do it a lot of times. And that's that's pretty, pretty cool. Finally, we could not do a whip around the horn in this city without stopping by and saying hello to our guy, Long Beach Bobby. You know Bobby Hawk as the uh, equipment manager extraordinaire. He's been a ball boy since he's a little kid. He's worked with so many different football programs in the local area. He is now working as an assistant coach with the running program at Wilson High School. And he works for a local security team that was working the Super Bowl. That's right, Bobby Hawk was a security guard at the Super Bowl last weekend. And we sat down with him to talk a little bit about what that experience was like. So Bobby, what time did you have to leave to get to SoFi on time on Super Bowl Sunday? Um, I got picked up at 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? The game's not till like 3.30. Yeah, um, I had to get there at 7. To do what? What are you, what are you doing at SoFi at 7 o'clock as a security guard? I have to check in, wait, f um, see where my area is. The person that brought me to SoFi, um, I did the coin flip with him at against uh, during the Milliken game, Jordan Sanders. Wait, Jordan Sanders drove you to SoFi Stadium on Sunday? Yes, he did. That uh, is incredible. Shout out Jay Sands, uh, Milliken coaching extraordinaire. That is that is really cool. So so when you say going to your area, what do you what do you mean by that? My post. Yeah. So so your post was on the field, off the field, uh, in the was, stands. It was in the tunnel. Uh huh. Um, near the media room. Okay. So you saw everybody walking in and out of the media room? I saw, yeah, I saw Rodney Harrison from NBC. Yeah. Mike Tirico. Yeah. Jack Collinsworth. Nice. And very own Billie Jean King. Nice. Polly legend Billie Jean King. Yes. That's awesome, Bobby. Yes. Were you kind of starstruck standing down there? I was, I've been down there the whole year near the Rams locker room, but a supervisor picked me up and said hey i need a strong person and i was down there and it was awesome and i saw the half i saw the cars that snoop dogg had yeah 
And then the performers that Dr. Dre had. Yeah. And I saw them bringing out the lights and cameras for the stage. That's really cool. The, the, how fast they put that stage up and take it down is, is, is also really cool. Do you get bored back there? Like, you, you're, you're not really able to watch the game, right? Um, here and there, we have a little break room. If the TV's on, we have a break room. We can watch it in there. Uh-huh. But other than that, we have, to, we have to check credentials. I got a lot of souvenirs, too. Yeah? What kind of souvenirs did you get? I got a hat, a super, two Super Bowl hats. Sweet. And a t-shirt. And I was going to get a jacket, but it was too hot that day. Did they let you keep your credential? Yes, they did. Dude, that's, that's one of our favorite things to do. Uh, Mike and I both have huge collections of credentials from, from events gone by. I'm sure, I'm sure you've got a couple cool ones too, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. You must have been rooting pretty hard for the Rams too. It would have been kind of a bummer to be in that uh, media hall if the home team had lost. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, my team, the Eagles, were not in it. They lost to Tom Brady, but I'm an Eagle fan at heart, but Ram <laughs> fan when I'm working – games yeah that's fair that's fair um that that is such a cool experience you even got to be on the field and take a picture right yes and yeah i took a picture and then i saw joel batonio won game two as well during the year right when the browns came to play the rams wilson alum joel batonio was there and you guys got to see each other take a picture that's pretty cool yes it was yes it was hopefully they come out here next year too yeah, hopefully. That would be cool. Um, well, that's that's awesome, Bobby. And as you said to me the first time we hung out after the Super Bowl, that's something you'll be able to tell, like, your niece and nephew about yes. down the road. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this one time I was at the Super Bowl. You got to stand on the field at the Super Bowl, Bobby. Not a lot of people can say that. No, not a lot of people can say that. Did you grab some confetti, put it in your pocket? I was about to, but I said, no. Nah. Because <laughs> you want to get invited back next time, right? Yeah, and next year's Super Bowl is is in Arizona, hopefully. Hopefully, I, hopefully, hopefully, my company has that in Arizona. Oh, dude, this could just be a yearly thing for you now. It could be. I'm all about it. And if you do it again, you got to come back on the pod again, okay? Yes, I do. Thanks to everybody who was on the show today, and thanks to you for listening, visiting the562.org and Long Beach Post for all of your local news. And please make sure you hit the subscribe buttons on both of those websites to make sure that you can still get your local news from local trusted sources. We will see you in the stands real soon, Long Beach. Take care.